Hello, and welcome to another episode of Anti-Culture. I'm your host, Josiah Sinanin, equally cultural in both ambiguity and background. It's my pleasure to come back to continue with season two of this podcast I'm so passionate about. And I am so sorry and do apologize for the long delay in episodes following the Housewives episode, which came out a while ago now. And also, I'm sorry I haven't been as consistent with the show this season, but I do have more in store for you. And this week's episode, I think, was worth the wait. It's going to be a bit of a challenging one, particularly for Albertans following the election we just had. For those of you that live in Alberta, you know what I'm talking about. For those of you who are just tuning into the show, maybe you missed season one, which is all about the province I live in, but we just underwent our provincial election for our new premier. And the winner of the election was the United Conservative Party which was challenging for a lot of young people, a lot of people that are university educated, etc. So my guest this week is a business owner. She's also a one percenter in Calgary, and she's also a woman. And her name is Lori Caltagironi. She is a chartered professional accountant on top of owning her own business. And I'm sure you guessed it by now, she identifies as a conservative. Not only that, she is well-connected to the party and its affiliates. So she is a lovely guest, and she has a great respect for deep thinking and a very strong perspective, I think, as a woman in circles that are run largely by men. So her perspective of the culture of corporate Calgary, the culture of the United Conservative Party, is one that's worthy of hearing, no matter what side you voted for. So she was gracious enough to sit down with me and offer a personalized perspective on the party that might be Alberta's most misunderstood. I don't ever want to get political on this podcast. However, I did want to offer another challenging perspective that comes from a place of someone's story and how they view the world that just might change the assumptions that you've placed on them. Any extreme is so hard on nations and so hard on individuals. And so there's a healthy tension But I think the pendulum has swung too far around individualism and the cracks that we're seeing, the cracks in that is um, there's no sense of understanding sacrifice because sacrifice involves something bigger than yourself. Mm -hmm. And yet nothing is more moving and noble than the notion of sacrifice. There's something incredible that remains with us as time passes, particularly within the history of a place. We are passed on stories, true, false, biased, and unbiased, that surround what we believe has happened in a particular space and time. When we find ourselves in the now, we're exposed to opinions, lifestyles, things that we know make us happy, and things that we know bring us grief. Underlying this all, there is a common shared experience, meaning we're able to put ourselves in the shoes of others through these stories and build something wonderful together. Whether this thing that you build is a business, a community, a collection of what we think is secret knowledge that has been lost, whatever it happens to be, we crave the opportunity to include others in our own adventures. When I initially wrote the words I'm speaking, I was standing at the banks of the Elbow River in the historic Rouleauville, which reminds me of the episode on Franco-Albertans. It simultaneously reminds me of my interview with Curtis Lefthand, 
That's episode five of season one. And he shared with me the spirit of the very river, the Elbow River, which he believed to belong to his ancestors. But also, when I wrote those words, I was there in 2019 in a city named Calgary that has a turbulent and confusing political climate. A unique mix of opinions, power, relationships, and livelihoods that depend on natural resources, finances, families, and the histories of their own. Somewhere along the way, I would ask, have we lost certain perspectives? Things that are not popular, but which are being forced into seclusion because of the ebb and flow of cultural tides? This week, as I mentioned, I have a very special episode to share with an affluent businesswoman in this very city where I was born. She has never had a family, but she thinks it is the highest achievement for us to accomplish as humans. Although she's made a lot of money, she's also experienced a lot of pain in the process. I have not lived with the experience that she has, nor do I want to pretend that I have, but I will encourage listeners this week to consider what's being spoken and see if something sticks out, even if it's not really how you would usually identify yourself. This is not my story. I did want to share someone else's, for the sake of maintaining all angles and all perspectives. This is Anticulture. So I'm here with Lori Caltagironi. I hope that's how you pronounce it. It is. Okay, it is. perfect. Perfect. <laughs> Why don't you give yourself a little bit of an introduction, tell us a bit about your background and who you are in our community. Okay, well, thank you. Yeah. Um, so, so I've been living in Calgary, I currently reside in Calgary, and I've been living in Calgary since 1998. Okay. But I do consider myself an Alberta girl because I was born and grew up in Edmonton area. So um, while I'm here in Calgary and what keeps me busy is uh, I'm a businesswoman and an entrepreneur in a professional services way. I'm a chartered accountant, a chartered professional accountant now. And um, that was an interesting story how I even chose that profession. But I, pr- I have a business called Sinesis. Uh, here in Calgary, and I work in the intermediate energy sector. For those of you who are already lost, Lori means to say that her clients are that of the Canadian oil company nature rather than the big global oil companies. And her job is to help them with their compliance aspects, which I also don't know much about, but we'll move on. I have a huge passion for the arts, and uh, and I have a huge passion for good thinking. and. Um, and, and so I've supported a number of um, what I would call uh, cultural institutions yeah, in Canada and in Calgary um, by serving on the board for Calgary Philharmonic Orchestra and supporting a number of arts organizations like the Calgary Opera and the Honan's International Piano Competition. I think that these types of arts institutions are so important as well as the smaller um, local faith-based institutions. And then from a bigger picture, I'm, I'm so passionate not only about um, what shapes culture, which I think art does profoundly shape culture, which is why I'm passionate about it, but also thinking. And so I sit on the board for a company with a group called Cardis. It's uh, Canada's fourth largest think tank. And it is a faith-based. Uh, it, it draws on 2,000 years of Christian thinking to um, understand um, and um, influence change agents and understanding how to advance civil society. So so those types of things kind of keep me busy. 
Yeah, and we'll get into a bit more about your background, but I just wanted to comment that I think it's so interesting that you're in such a really unique position, I think, in our city that not a lot of people get exposure to. Yes. And um, you're definitely someone who is a forerunner. You've started your own company. Yes. And you're in this... Um, you're in the hustle and bustle of how Calgary is often viewed <laughs> yes. in terms of being corporate and in terms of being an oil city and all this. And um, how do you, how would you describe that culture from your position? Well, it's an interesting culture. Um, there's there's layers like anything with culture, and there's the bright moments, and then there's the darker moments. And I would say on the on the bright side, uh, what I love about the heart of the corporate Calgary community as it is today currently you know, in 2018. And I've been uh, working in that community. Um, I started Sinesis in 2004, so for almost 14 years here. Um, the, the bright side is that it's very dynamic. It's energetic. People are hopeful. They are driven to create value. And they are wanting to make an impact um, in Ca in Calgary, and and you know, um, it's it's the edge of the bright and going into the dark, is um, and they want to help people um, flourish by creating wealth. And I know that's often the time that you know, the, often the um, aspect that think people think is that it's a it's a very avarice driven community, and that is a, a huge part of that. Um, people are very much driven mm -hmm. uh, by the pursuit of wealth, and um, and it's an interesting tension. There's a lot of civic spirit here in Calgary, and generosity that that you see. And then on the flip side, that um, that there are those that have so much that still find it difficult to engage the community with their with any type of talent. Mm. Um, and I think today in 2018 is very interesting because we're, you know, I also sit on the board for Calgary Economic Development and we're seeing that we need to diversify and this has been on the radar for such a long time to diversify our uh, Western Canadian economy and, um, and it's, it's painful, it's, it's going to take time. And um, the mindset of what drove success in an in intermediate energy space is not um, the mindset that's going to create wins in a new, in a newer type of an economy. And so, while we are wildly entrepreneurial here, it's from a deal-making perspective versus um, a perspective of really understanding how to collaborate more, having a longer-term view. Um, having a higher degree of humility to engage diversity in thinking. Uh, truly, 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 still at the heart of Calgary, we see so much of the, you know, the classic, you know, um, pale, male, and stale, you know, <laughs> um, what surprises me, and it shouldn't, but it's, it, it does surprise me is that when I'm at different types of board meetings or audit committee meetings, I can be one of one or two or three women around a boardroom table where there's, you know, 13 to 18 people. So, and, and the 13 to 18 people all have a similar hair color and skin color and <laughs> And I'm sure we can education. guess what that is. Yeah. It's so true. So, <laughs> yeah. so, so as dynamic and energetic as Calgary is, it's, it's still in its infant stages of, um, growing in um, what I would call sophistication and cosmopolitanism, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. Um, but but it's it's a great city and mm -hmm. it's a great community. People truly are connected, um, 
it's a small town that way. Right. And, and, and it works good and bad. You mentioned that you're kind of a minority in a lot of those yeah. situations. Yeah. How do you think you challenge the perception people have on you? And what do you think is the perception that people mm. have on you in this culture? Well, I, I think um, I have to really wear my credentials uh, okay. very much to shape thinking. Um, the, you know, and I'm, and I'm going to say very proudly, I'm a chartered accountant and, and, and many people in the business community recognize the value in mm. that particular credential. And so that really has opened up so many doors for me that in the absence of, I would not be able to uh, sit, have a place at the table. Um, and how do people see me? I think there's a, it, it's, 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 it's always kind of an interesting tension because I think there's a recognition that I've built a business, um, that I do good work. I think there's a reputation, I have a good reputation in the, in the business community for doing good work. Um, but that's not always enough. You know, there is certainly, um, a fraternity and, you know, that, and that helps and, and, you know, and that has served the business community in many ways because, there's some very good aspects of that as loyalty and, um, you know, being able to trust and rely and, and, and that type of thing. And those are good things. Um, but it really does make it difficult if you're not part of that mater- you know, fraternity mm-hmm. to, to engage. And so truly when I say it's by the grace of God, um, uh, you know, God truly does open doors. <laughs> I really believe that. Mm-hmm. I think that that's the only reason I've been able to be as successful is the grace of God. Um, we do work hard as an organization and I have great people on my team, but I also know that the opportunities really have come because, um, uh, God is at the heart of it. Mm-hmm. Um, which again, when people recognize my faith, you know, there's a, a mild form of respect and, and it also is a bit distancing because, Calgary does have a bit of a party culture and, you know, maybe it's not at the most upper echelons, but part of what has made the energy industry, um, kind of hum along has been how work has been allocated and entertaining has been a large part of that Mm. with a number of the vendors. And of course it's been suited a little bit more to the male taste Mm -hmm. and I'll just leave it at that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, so you did mention earlier when we were talking, um, at Royale that, um, there's a lot of, cause I think a lot of people wonder like, what does it take to build a business from mm-hmm. scratch? And yeah. what do you think motivated you to get to the place that you are now? And I know you mentioned your background a little yes. bit, so we can dive into that. Yes. Well, you know, I, I, I think that, um, I think that a, a sense of, um, an entrepreneurial spirit can be, shaped by so many things and so I don't want to say that this is the only keys to having an entrepreneurial spirit but certainly um my family both on my mom my mom's family and my and on my dad's family um have equipped me and made it very um uh, very possible for me to have a business. I, I, I know in the absence of their role model and how they lived their life I, I couldn't be um uh, I wouldn't have been equipped or have had the character to sustain a very uh, grueling um, and demanding schedule 
that that leaders of companies have to have. So on my mom's side, I'll speak a little bit first. She she comes from good German stock, <laughs> and uh, as many people are in in Alberta, come mm-hmm. from that that Eastern European and, and and German influence, and so there's this element of just a strong sense of duty and to do things well. My grandfather, my mom's father, was a farmer, and he, uh, as were his parents. Um, so uh, when you run uh, a farm, and in particular they had um, both cattle and they were mixed farmers, and uh, uh, different types of grains, wheats, barleys, etc., that they would, uh, they would grow and farm, um, you have to have a strong work ethic. You have to always pay attention to your flocks, even Mm -hmm. as quoted in in Proverbs. Um, And you have to be so resilient and resourceful. My grandfather, he became a very good mechanic and he serviced his own um, tractors and and machinery and equipment. Um, He was an excellent carpenter. He uh, not only was a farmer, but he, uh, you know, was a good musician as well. Like you kind of had to do it all because you're Mm -hmm. in this little community of, of of your farming itself and your family and then the broader family community and and then the the just you know the the region of, of physical neighbors and so on and you really had to learn to rely on each other and such and so on my dad's side is a little different because uh, he grew up in Sicily during the war and um, Sicily was quite a um, um, an important part of the war mm-hmm. efforts um, it was occupied by the Nazis and um, and it was there was a big battle that Canadians actually fought in to um, move it into ally um, territory, mm-hmm. and and so he he grew up as he was a little boy, um, you know, four or five uh, during the war when his house was bombed, and it was truly a miracle that he and his whole family lived. Um, mm. It was the bomb was right in the center of the house. Wow. Um, he <laughs> has uh, a leg deformity because of that. <laughs> And um, this is Jack meowing in the background. You have some cat company. <laughs> some yes. cat company. I know he feels for my papa. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and so just out of that sense of resiliency and necessity and understanding hunger and understanding hmm. what the opportunities could be and, and just like, you know, facing death and, and, and recognizing you have to live today, that just drove my dad to... Uh, and, and how he lived his life. Um, he pursued opportunity. He left his entire family, came to Canada um, on his own. Mm. Um, his brother had come before him, but he journeyed on his own with basically just the food, you know, the clo- clothes on his back and just a little bit of food. He had no money. He didn't speak English. And, you know, when he came, there was a lot of discrimination against Italians because, of course, right. early on, they were part of the uh, the whole fascist movement. Mm-hmm. So they were not beloved people. And, you know, it impacted, um, and I know this is a little bit of a digression, but it impacted how he raised us. Lori's lot in life might to some seem easy to slap a label on. Yes, she lives and thrives in corporate Calgary, and in many ways she even has impact there. She's wealthy and positive and involved with the arts. However, this is all the direct result of the sacrifice and hard work of her parents, who instilled ideals in her that caused her to make her own sacrifices to bring her to a place of affluence and influence. And it wasn't without pain. As a white woman in the 1%, 
You also might not think that discrimination or poverty were part of her story, but alas, they were. There's a lot more you might have in common with people than you realize, and you're not going to realize that you have things in common with them until you ask them about their story. That's why it's so important to be curious and inquisitive in situations that would otherwise be easy to judge. I think Lori's a great example of this. You know, to come to a new country with nothing, and um, he's turning 80 this year. Wow. And uh, he's retired. He's been retired, obviously, for a number of years. Um, he's a chef. And uh, he coaches students still in Nate, uh, at Nate when they do their international mm-hmm. competition. He's a, one of the most beloved instructors there um, and has been for decades. Um, I think that's a real testament to the, to mm-hmm. the value of excellence and, mm-hmm. and hard work. Um, choosing that path was not his choice. Like That was not his first choice. Mm-hmm. We've, we've often asked him, is this what you love to do? And he's like, no. <laughs> but it w- was thrust upon him. And I think that's another important quality <clears throat> about being an entrepreneur is that oftentimes you have to do what you don't love doing just in order to keep the business going and it's not about following your bliss or uh living the dream Mm -hmm. it's it's sometimes it's just it's just grit Mm -hmm. that gets you through it and and it's doing the right thing it's funny because i'm i'm departing a little bit from focusing just on alberta for this season but it's really interesting because a lot of what you're saying is relative to a lot of the guests I had in my first season. Okay. And I think it's so interesting because we all have such diverse backgrounds and origin stories, but at the end of the day, we as Albertans, we value hard work. Yes. And we come from all sorts of places. And I think, I don't think that walking down the street, um, someone with a similar background as you in terms of Maybe one side of their family is um, immigrated, and maybe one side of their family is, you know, a farming family from Alberta. That's that's my story. Yes. And it's funny because I don't think, you know, surface level, yes. you wouldn't assume that. Yeah. But um, it all it's all something that is a common thread that we all share. It is, and I think it's that beauty about the diversification of the province at that time, where you did have Germans and Italians right. and Ukrainians and so many different. Uh, nations um, that had a hope for a better future mm-hmm. and that were just so willing to work so hard and, and recognize that sacrifice. I think there's an element of sacrifice yes. at the heart yeah. of it, isn't it, the case? Yeah. And and um, it's 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 true. And I think we have to remember that today when we're, we're, we're considering about continuing to build a great nation, mm-hmm. right? Because great nations don't stay great. They're continuing to grow great. Right. And to recognize what what uh, the heart of the immigrant always is, is to make a better life. Right, right. And you have, um, I just really appreciate your insight because I think not enough people are talking about the type of things that you are. And especially oh. for people in my generation, <laughs> okay. I think it's interesting to um, just get at that perspective of hard work and also yes. realizing that, you know, at the end of the day, there are some opportunities that don't come just because you're following what you're passionate about. There's an element of hard work. Yes. Um, and I think that all also ties into family and continuing on your legacy. And yes, I think that we're losing the importance of that. And you have a really great perspective on that well, that I would love to hear a little okay. bit more about. I would like to pause here before we get into the next section of this episode, as Lori does provide some viewpoints and perspectives that might be upsetting to some listeners. I think we can all agree so far in listening to my discussion with her that Lori has an incredible heart and really wants to make the world a better place. 
Lori is a peacemaker. I have never had a conversation with her, even ones I didn't fully relate with, where I felt like she was trying to stir the pot. I love how she executes this. She is unapologetically herself in such a unique way, and I think that within that, there is wisdom and insight we all can glean from. I actually have come to believe that every person who comes from a place of hard work and at the same time has experienced what it's like to be in the minority and nonetheless has built something. These people all have immense wisdom within them and it's unfair to write anyone off just because you come across one perspective they have that you might not share. So as I give Lori the space to share her opinion and insight, I would challenge the listener not to write it off, but rather listen intently. You know, and I and I think part of what we're we're facing with that is, um, you know, I, I'm gonna just sort of take a little step back of and, and just set context on 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 that current challenge that you that you framed wonderfully. We we are at a time in our society where individualism is so heavily um, prized. Mm-hmm. And, and you know what? Individualism is a gift in, in so many ways. Um, if, if, um, the, the, the contrast to individualism is very strong traditionalism of very traditional Mm -hmm. societies where the, the heart of the individual doesn't matter at all, but it's what matters to the family and, and what you bring to the family Mm -hmm. or to the immediate community or to the nation any extreme is so hard on nations and so hard on individuals and so there's a healthy tension but I think the pendulum has swung too far around individualism and the cracks that we're seeing the cracks in that is um, there's no sense of understanding sacrifice because sacrifice involves something bigger than yourself mm-hmm. and yet nothing is more moving and noble than the notion of sacrifice, even demonstrated uh, by Christ's sacrifice for us while we were yet sinners, mm-hmm. you know, and unlovely, and and yet how noble that is, or or any great um, leader of our times, whether it was a Gandhi or a Nelson Mandela or a Mother Teresa, who sacrificed all of the comforts of life mm-hmm. to. Um, advance a purpose to love the unlovable, to give opportunities for the vulnerable. And we just, you know, we see these people and we think they're amazing and we can be like that, but it's at odds to live that life of sacrifice Mm. in a very individualistic Mm -hmm. way. Another, actually, just to even further Mm -hmm. make that point is this notion of isolation. And I want to kind of highlight this notion of isolation Mm -hmm. a little bit. In C.S. Lewis's Great Divorce, and I don't know if any many of you have read that, but it's a very worthwhile read. Um, he he talks about what heaven and hell are like, and um, it's it's an allegory. It's not really representing what he truly believes is heaven and hell, but uh, he illustrates the point that in hell we are all about isolation, mm. and in fact we can build with ease in just the thought these grand cities and and castles but in doing so it removes us further and further from people Hmm. and so we are seeing the cracks of individualism in the sense that it's bringing greater degrees of isolation in um, London there's a ministry of loneliness Hmm. Um, there are many think tanks and papers that are writing that are being written to address what are some of the structural causes that's creating loneliness mm-hmm. and what that means in this world today and uh, and so 
the, the contrast to that is community. And, and, and part of being a community means sacrifice. Right. Because sacrifice we may not see in the sense of compromise even, right? Like Because it, it can't always be your way. Mm-hmm. It can't always be exactly to spec or bespoke or to your taste because the, the group at large may have different types of interests or tastes. If you grow up in a larger family... You learn pretty quickly that if you want to have, uh, if you want to play games and have a good time, you know, Christmas. Not everybody loves Monopoly. Not everybody loves Clue. But you got to pick one of the games or you don't have fun, right? Yeah, right. And so you you kind of compromise. Maybe we'll start with Monopoly and then we'll end with Clue or yeah. whatever the case may be. But the point is, is that um, individualism would say, well, I'm not going to play if I don't get my way. And community is like, okay, well, I'm, I want to be part of this and mm-hmm. be part of the celebration. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then subjecting or even sacrificing your immediate desire for the greater good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I know that this is a little bit of a different digression from no, what that's we spoke great. a little yeah. bit. But, but I think for, for a generation that wants to see transformation because we're seeing that the current extreme individualism is not satisfying it doesn't bring joy. It doesn't bring hope. It can be despairing that, that, that there needs to be a consideration of, of something bigger than yourself, of something of sacrifice, of something of um, um, being committed. We need to see that. And in some ways, you can see it in a good... In good y- y- there are individuals that, are, that you can see it's working for good. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll align with organizations that want to solve social mm-hmm. justice issues and this is wonderful the the dark side of that is where you see people wanting to find a community that may be very hate filled right <laughs> so that's unfortunate side but i think the more that you can create communities that are for good um that that's that's the better place to be and there's a big void and a huge opportunity for that i think mm-hmm. definitely and i think um yeah, like you mentioned, there's a lot of um, value and um, and I guess just uh, opportunity for knowledge in yes. growing up in a big family and yes. having and having some traditional background and knowing yes. the the value of hard work and I think that's also something that we're putting to the side. Um, there's a yes. stat that was recently out that in 2017, for the first time in our recorded history in Canada, there's more people that are choosing to not get married yes. than there are people that are. Yes. And do you think there's a problem in that? Or oh, do you think that yeah. there's a freedom that should be there? Or what's the what's the tension for you from your perspective? Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, this is like, I'm single. Um, and, and, you know, <laughs> I'm almost 50 and I'm, I'm, I'm single. And, you know, uh, there's good and bad with that. And so I don't want to say that one state is better than another mm-hmm. state necessarily, but I will say this as humans, as humans, and I'm speaking in rules of thumbs, that humans are social creatures, yeah. that we want community, we may feel that we can resist that or, or defy that, and I think many ways we try to, but at the end of the day, we are, I think, are truly our happiest when we're in a community where we can love and be loved yeah. and genuinely be loved. And yeah. the family is the first expression of that. And it's often the most um, 
in its best place is the most unconditional form of love. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think that, that there's going to be some unintended consequences with that. And I can certainly speak from a female perspective that, um, you know, there's just a window of opportunity when you can have kids. Um, I grew up at a time where it was very much advocated that, you know, have your career. And so by the time I finished my education and launched into my career, into my 30s, I started Sinesis when I was 34 and I just need to get it going a little bit further. And I didn't get married, and now I'm at a place it's just not a, even a reality for me to have mm -hmm. children. My sister, Heather, who's a few years younger than me, did marry in her um, um, earlier 30s, and then she's uh, uh, just earned her PhD, and she's an assistant deputy ministry minister in uh, Ministry of Education. And, uh, and so pursuing that, and oh, since she was married, has, has wanted to have children, and then that has not. Uh, worked out and again um, there's a season for everything mm -hmm. and and I think the 20s when you're in your 20s as, as in particular for females and this this is I think a little bit countercultural advice I give to young women if you think you want to have a family then do it brings so much joy you 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 will never regret having children you will have bigger regrets by not having children mm -hmm. and and it is a loss i have my kitties which you can hear jack <laughs> in the background and i love my kitties but i think if i had my own little person yeah. you know that that um, there's such a beauty and a joy in that so i think countercultural uh, yes it means you may not get to pursue that travel opportunity or, or launch into it uh, a career in the beginning. But you know, I would also say that, and this is what I've truly observed, that when you're in your 20s, you're not in highly responsible positions and you can have more time off with childcare in your 20s than you can in your later 30s. Right. It's a lot easier. It's easier in your body and your energy and everything like that. So that's my advice for women. You're not really going to lose out. Um, I have seen so many um, awesome professional women top of their game. And this is Jack just trying to <laughs> get to the top of a door, um, a screen door. Um, so many women at the top of their professional game that had children earlier in their life. And you know what? I think that's the best of both hmm. worlds. Now, I want to speak about men. So this is from a female perspective. And I think just to say, <laughs> I think this is so valuable because um, I think to a lot of people, they would say, wow, this person like started this business, yeah. lives in this amazing home. Oh. And, and you're still saying this, is, this isn't what it's all about. It is so not <laughs> what it's all about. You know, it would, I would give anything to have people running around this home. Yeah be at the heart and so I have introduced community in other ways right and, and I and I'm grateful for that and I love that but I think we're missing out and we're doing a disservice to this coming generation to think that um, having a children is a burden mm -hmm. children are such a joy I love I love my nephews I wish I could keep them sometimes <laughs> you know there's there you know children are just so beautiful and you know you learn sacrifice you learn something bigger than yourself mm -hmm. it is so rich and and there's a loss in your later years as you approach 50 which seems like miles away but it's so not that when you approach your 50s there's, there's a sorrow that you can't, it's not like something that you can say, well, I'm gonna, you know what, it's never too late to do the right thing. Well, you know, for women hmm. in their, you know, later 40s, well, you know, even statistically, it's like your later 30s, it becomes difficult mm -hmm. and in your 40s, impossible. Mm -hmm. And um, I know so many heart 
broken women that wanted to have their own children that um you know that in vitro and and other fertility treatments just could not satisfy that longing mm. with their own children and the beautiful thing is there's lots of babies to adopt yeah but you know you have your most energy when you're young and 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 that's part of i believe god's design yeah and, and i think you can now speaking to men young yes men, yes <laughs> obviously if young women uh, <laughs> want to have these little ones i think there's such a richness too in having a father and, and having two parents and not doing this on your own. There's there's a joy in that. And um, I, I think that, again, it, it becomes beyond individualism and living for yourself. And I know that it seems so difficult. I think, actually, what I think young men are struggling with, and, and this is an interesting thing, I was just, you know, I have Netflix, and there are so many shows that are out there for young people that... Now, not only throw in the question of whether or not do you want to have kids, but what is my identity? And so if you're thinking, well, I don't know what my, my gender identity or my sexual identity is, then how do I even know if I want to commit to get married? Because mm-hmm. maybe that's not, maybe I don't want to be with a woman. Right, right. <laughs> so, so that adds another unique little uh, twist to the equation. But um, so I think, young men, you have to just recognize that, um, yeah, it might prevent you from going to more parties and more trips and more... Uh, you know, prevent you from having as many, you know, great pictures to post and such. You'll have different pictures to post. <laughs> They're just different. Yeah. And, you know, hey, when your kids are 10 and you're in your later 30s, that's great. Like, that's super fun. You can start these awesome adventures at that point in right. time as they as they grow in strength and these, and these things. And so I, I, I just, I just, we don't hear a message for young men to, because their their window biological window to have children is not as tight or as restrictive yeah. as it is for women right but they're an equal and important part of the equation yeah and I want to even go further I, I mean we all know that um, you know in the absence of marriage you know so there's pornography and and sort of that hookup culture but that one of the things that I, I, I find fascinating is that we put, Either, you know, depending on how you look at it, too much emphasis on sex or not enough importance on mm-hmm. sex. And so as a result, it seems to be the, the go-to, um, like, oh, this is the ultimate. And yet, it, it, by, by making the world revolve around sex, it, it, it's too lightweight for true satisfaction. That void will always be there. Mm-hmm. Or by not recognizing how powerful and profound it is, we're, we're doing a disservice by saying, it doesn't really matter. It's just a bio, like just like you have yeah. to eat, you know? Yeah. And, and we don't talk about, in our culture enough, and I think we need to have some more discussions about it, the greatness of sex, yeah. you know? And, and and how you know we don't see this so much role model today because I think so many people struggle being a good role model. But my grandparents, I would have to tell you, my, my grandparents were married so young, and it was literally till death do they part. When my when my grandfather passed away, but they loved each other so much. Um, my grandfather was always holding my grandmother's hands. Uh, he they had six kids. He was so kind and tender towards my mm-hmm. grandmother, and she loved him so much too. It was so beautiful. That is, you know, they were friends. Did that mean that they didn't have their their moments? Of course they did. But 
I loved that as they grew older and were not perfect in appearance. You know, my grandmother grew into this little chubby old lady. She was so cute. And he just loved her and cherished her still and held her hand um, all the time. I remember yeah. them holding hands all the time and wanting to be together. Yeah. It's so beautiful. And why can we not... that? It was so romantic in that way. Why is that not something yeah. we want to aspire to? And that, that faithfulness in their marriage and that love that they had towards each other, which they did have to work on, I'm sure. But certainly from a granddaughter's perspective, it seemed mm. very effortless. That is the prize of not being an individualistic mindset. Yeah, definitely. Of not... Of not um, that is the prize of... Of putting others ahead of yourself. Yeah. And to be 80 and in love with your 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 uh, you, you know your high school sweetheart. Mm-hmm. I I don't know. I mean, maybe some people would think that's very saccharine and and <laughs> uh, you know uh, idealistic. But there's commitment. There's trust. There's freedom. There's so much freedom with yeah. that. Um, my grandmother never once worried about her weight or what she looked like or feared for her, for being abandoned. Um, like, I just feel that they were richer people for, mm-hmm. for that. Absolutely. And I think it's cool because I think anyone, no matter what your background is, we innately can recognize the goodness in that. Yes. And I think that we forget about that sometimes in, yes. in this pursuit of individualism. Yes. And so I really appreciate you being so candid because <laughs> you're so well-spoken and you're yeah. such a kind person. And I just think this perspective is one that we don't often consider. And well, it is countercultural in a it, lot of ways. It, so It is, isn't it? But here's the neat thing. I think when you look at things that are countercultural, the culture sh- dial shifts all the time. And we have an opportunity to see something that's wonderful and good and advocate advocate for it and grow a momentum with it. And that's how ch- culture can continue to evolve yeah. and, and change into the place that it ought to be. I think the most life-giving and liberating agenda is one where you can see noble love expressed mm, where you can good. be receiving noble love or giving noble love and and that requires a commitment and a sacrifice you know uh here's here's something else i, I just want to speak about and um I, I think that a generation that has grown up hearing you're awesome you're special you you're great you're terrific no that's awesome effort like so great mm-hmm. and you hear this message over and over and over and then when you get into a situation where, like, the tests are not, you don't get a sticker at the end of the test. <laughs> yeah. Um, the tests are about your character. The tests are facing big challenges. It can be, we don't, you know, um, the awesome thumbs up and move along doesn't build that resilience. Mm-hmm. It requires a high degree of humility to go, I am not awesome at that. Yeah, I completely screwed up on that. Yeah. And so there's a humility that I think would be another message for a generation that is so important to be able to say, yes. look, hey, I'm not perfect. I'm not awesome all the time. Um, I could do better. I don't even know how to do better, but I want to learn. That is going to be so important for, I think, um, a generation that needs to be entrepreneurial because mm-hmm. entrepreneurial entrepreneurship and uh, to me that grassroots small business aspect is so wonderful 
but you learn you have to learn and you make mistakes and you can't let that failure get you down and you have to go okay well yeah that was my fault <laughs> what did I learn what am I gonna right. do about it and so we have to be able to receive and be uncomfortable mm -hmm. with being highlighted where we can do better where we're not doing things well yeah and so, and that's not bullying and we have to recognize that. Right. And whether it's at home from parent or whether it's in a workforce from an employer that's just like, this is not it. You need to do better on this. Um, I think that uh, if you have a generation that isn't willing to be challenged on how to receive feedback or to, to, to recognize that their first attempt is not going to be perfect mm -hmm. and awesome with the sticker, uh, that, that, that individual can really shut down. Yeah. That can be isolating. Yeah. So I don't know how we can encourage people to just go, you know what, it's okay to not be perfect. It's okay to make mistakes. There are there are some cracks in that and I think people are starting to realize like it's okay to fail. It's all right. And in fact, that's the whole point of becoming a wise person <laughs> is you learn the Absolutely. hard way yeah. and such. So, so I, I just want to encourage the mindset that when feedback is offered and it seems critical, understand why is this, think about, be discerning. Is this being offered to help me become better, to help understand where the product needs to go? Um, receive it if it's, but be genuinely discerning if it's about, you know, if it's personal and it's, you know, and, and I think our hearts kind of understand that mm -hmm. and it's, it's something that we really can't change and it's, like I say, it's very personal. Well, then you know that's bullying and you do have to stand up yes, against that. That's so it's good. discerning that, you know. All around, some great final words from our guests this week on anti-culture. I do apologize, by the way, for all of the white noise in this week's episode. Myself and Laurie recorded this interview in her beautiful library, but we did share some tea amidst cats exploring the place and the windows open to the morning birds. I hope it wasn't too distracting. Noble love, sacrifice, humility, happiness. Do you agree with Lori? Did something she say strike a chord within you? Or do you think her opinions were naive or misguided? I think we're always a lot more open to hearing someone's perspective, even if we disagree with it, after we hear their stories. At that point, we can begin to open our minds to see where someone's coming from. And somewhere along the way, there's always some truth to be found. I'm so appreciative for Lori and her vulnerability to her life and how she wishes she would have prioritized having children. I felt very challenged by this episode and definitely took away a lot more to think about than what I expected to. I'd love to get your feedback on this episode. Please tweet me at Josiah Podcast, comment on Facebook or Instagram, and let me know what you're thinking. Do you think you have a good balance of individuality and traditionalism? Or are you following the cultural trend that's out there? What can you take away from Lori's story? Entrepreneurship is wonderful, as Lori said, but it does require sacrifice and humility. Thank you so much for sharing, Lori. You can look up Lori's consulting business, Sinesis, at www.sinesisconsultant.ca. That's sinesisconsultant.ca. I'll talk to you guys next week. Thank you for sticking with me all this way. And I can't wait to share the next episode of Anti-Culture.